Well, today we are continuing our series, Unshakable Mess, uh, Unshakable Marriage, and uh, so which is kind of a uh, kind of an interesting uh, concept for me. So I am yes, yeah, so like about thirty minutes normally to speak on marriage, and and uh, I have discovered that I am not an expert on marriage. Now I think I have some, I do have some clout because last week Emily and I celebrated our twenty seventh wedding anniversary. So I got, uh, yeah, so I got married when I was 13, and uh, so I was just a, I was a young little whippersnapper, and so uh, Emma's a little bit older than me, as y'all know, uh, but uh, anyway, so I feel like that I have the ability to share some things on marriage, but I don't even think I've got 30 minutes uh, worth of uh, knowledge to share with y'all, so that's why I think probably the best thing that I can do, instead of telling you my opinions on marriage, is for us to just simply look into Scripture to see what the Bible has to say about marriage. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking today in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to look in verse number 14, and we'll go to like, like verse number 18. So if you're looking that up, I'm just going to, I want to share with you uh, just uh, something that I had read in a magazine, and every once in a while I will read stuff, kind of gets my attention, I think it's really neat, and then I'll share it with somebody, you know, maybe share it with Emily, hey, I think this is really neat, what do you think about it? And she's like, you know, just because you think it's interesting doesn't mean that everybody else is going to think it's interesting. So I don't know what's wrong with everybody else. So I'm just going to share with y'all what I read because I thought it was interesting. So I want to ask y'all this question. How many of y'all have ever heard of the terms flotsam and jetsam? Have any of y'all ever heard of that before? Yeah, that's the same as the first one. Seven of us. Okay, so there's seven people that have heard of that. So this is going to go well. I can already tell. All right, so here's the deal. So what is jetsam and flotsam? Okay, now flotsam, basically what it is, is it's the debris that is left over after like a shipwreck. So there'll be a wreck and all the stuff that falls off of a ship and it goes into the water, into the ocean. That is what you call flotsam. So y'all, this is going to serve you well whenever you're playing Jeopardy. Okay, so then there's jetsam is the other term. Now what is jetsam? Well, jetsam is the stuff that also comes off of a ship but it is jettisoned off of the ship before a storm comes in order to help give the boat you know, stability to be able to survive the storm. Okay, so this all ties in, believe it or not, to what I'm going to try to share with you all today. I believe that those two terms have a lot to do with life. I think in life, there are a lot of people, they, they come together in relationship, they end up getting married, and then there is a whole lot of flotsam that comes from their marriage because it's a disaster from the beginning. Now, I've been, I've been uh, involved in ministry for a while now, and there are times when I will talk with people and they will start sharing with me who they are, what they believe, you know, sort of their strengths and weaknesses. And, and, uh, and I hate to be that person, but I, in my mind, I'm just thinking, there is going to be a whole lot of flotsam in this relationship. You know, I mean, just thinking, I don't see a whole lot of good coming out of this. And so the encouragement is that before you come into a relationship, I think one of the great things that a person can do is make a decision that instead of having flotsam in their marriage, that they're going to jettison some things from their lives that they don't need to be there, that really aren't that important in order to give them a better chance to survive and thrive in the marriage relationship. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. We're just simply going to look at a passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul shares about the importance of relationships. 
And, and I really think that a lot of times that our, our ideas and thoughts about relationships oftentimes are, are very underrated. Uh, the relationships that you have with people, and in particular for our topic today that we're talking about, it, it is tremendously important in marriage. Uh, we're told this in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Have any of y'all ever heard that before? Uh, you might not have known that was a Bible verse, but it's tremendously important. And so in our passage of Scripture, we're in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Uh, background information is that Corinth, it was a, it was a port city that's in, in modern-day Greece, so that meant that there are a lot of people that traveled through the city. And so they brought with them a lot of different ideas, a lot of different cultures came together, and so there wasn't a real coherent belief system there. As a matter of fact, in the town of Corinth, there was a, a temple there uh, for, the, uh, for the temple. It's called the Temple of Aphrodite. Now, for all of you mythology you know, geeks, y'all, what is, y'all know who Aphrodite is? She's the goddess of what? The goddess of love. Laura, good job. So the goddess of love. All right? So love was a, very, was a very important thing in Corinth. But the kind of love they were talking about in Corinth, it was not what we'd call, you know, pure love. It's not godly love. They had, they had temple prostitutes there. It promoted promiscuity. So now you begin to understand why Paul, in this section of Scripture, why he's talking about relationships. The world has a view of relationships and what they're supposed to be. He said, but it's very different than what God has in mind and in store for people. And so as you're approaching marriage, you're approaching these important relationships, the Apostle Paul pointed out a few things to consider when it comes to choosing a mate. And so that's what I want us to look at today. What are we to consider whenever it comes to choosing who we're going to marry? Some of you are like, hey, I'm already married. This is water under the bridge for me. What am I supposed to do? We'll get there in a minute. But let's just sort of take a look and see what Paul has to say about marriage and some things to consider as we move into that relationship. Here's the very first thing to consider. Is that person a good fit? Is that person a good fit for you in marriage? If you you look in verse 14, this is what Paul wrote. He said, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now, when Paul wrote this letter, he's writing it to a group of believers who make up the church in Corinth. So this is a letter that is speaking to Christians. And and Paul wanted them to know that in their relationships, it was important who they were having relationships with. Now, Now, why? Well, because if you had a relationship with the wrong person, then it could be harmful. That's why Paul said, if you look in verse 14 again, he said, do not be mismatched. Now, he's speaking to Christians. He said, in your relationships, and for today's purposes, we're speaking of marriage, who are believers, if you look back at verse 14, who are believers not to be mismatched with? Anybody? Yeah, non-believers. My, my version says unbelievers. Now, the word mismatched, in some of your translations, it, it will say, you are not to be unequally yoked. 
Now, a yoke was a, it was a farming tool. It was, a, it was like a, uh, oh, what do you call it? Like a, a brace that was put over the necks of two animals. And they were tied together so that the two animals could pull together to generate strength. And so you wanted them to be of equal strength to pull. And this idea, it, it comes from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 22, verse 10. It says, do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now, there is a spiritual reason, a religious reason for the Jewish people. The ox was a clean animal and the donkey was considered unclean. But there's also a practical matter. I mean, if you're going to hook two animals together to pull equally, I mean, do you think an ox and a donkey are going to be an equal team? I mean, the ox, is, he's going to be doing the work, right? He's, he's going you know, to be jerking the donkey around everywhere. It's not going to be very efficient. It's going to be, you know, an extra burden for that ox to be pulling that donkey along. And so what, what Paul is saying here, he's saying that just like that, he said, in your relationships, do not be mismatched. And it is very possible for two people to come together who really don't fit together who really don't match each other very well. I mean, you can, have, you can have different values. You can have different goals in mind. You can have different desires in life. You can have a, a different view on, on matters of faith. And so Paul says, do not be mismatched. And again, he's talking about do not, believers in Jesus, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. Let me, let me try to give you an example. Um, my wife's family... One thing they really enjoy doing is they, they love puzzles, and uh, when I talk about, pu- I'm not talking about the puzzles that like you know like a, you know like a, a hundred piece puzzle. They like the ones that have like seven seventeen thousand piece puzzles. Y'all y'all ever seen those before? I mean, and they they will take those puzzles and they will put them out on this big table. So we used to vacation with her family and brothers every year, and they'd always get a big puzzle every year. And, you know, I hate puzzles. Okay, so they'd put them out and they have all these little pieces out. And uh, so I'm not a puzzle person, so but everybody's got to gather around. They're working. It's a, they find joy in it, and it just sucks the life out of me. And so I, you know, I'm just sitting there like, ugh, and I'm looking at it. And so I'm looking for the straight-edge pieces, you know, because I'm lazy. And the straight, I know that the, the, uh, the straight-edge pieces, they go on the outside. So I can do the edges, but when you start moving into the interior, and they get the kind of puzzles where, like, the, everything is the same color. I'm like, oh my gosh, could you please make it more complicated? And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking and I will see a piece that looks like it fits with another piece. But, you know, it's just not quite. And so because of who I am, I'm going to make it work, right? So I, I just get those two pieces and I'm, I'm, I'm just like pressing down on them, trying to mash them together. I think this is going to work. And they're like, it doesn't work. Quit doing that. And, and the reason why it doesn't work is real simple. It, because they don't match, and yeah, and sometimes in relationships, we will do the same thing. We, we will have two people who don't, they don't quite match together, but we try to cram it together to make it work. And Paul's saying, don't do that. He said, because whenever, whenever you do that, you're, you're mixing together two things that don't go together. You're trying to jam two lives together that don't work, and, and it's, it's not going to make for a good partnership. Uh, the word partnership in our text, it's referring to sharing. Well, what, what do partners share? You share life. You know, you share, you share values and hopes and dreams. You help carry the load of one another. But if you don't have the same foundational truths of the other person, 
Because I'm just going to be honest with you. You, you are you're moving into a relationship that is doomed to fail. So, so what's important in, in our relationships? It is to be in agreement on belief. Belief in what? Belief in who Jesus is. That's the foundational issue in all relationships, especially the marriage relationship. What are we supposed to believe about Jesus? Well, he's the he's Redeemer. That, that He is one who forgives sins. That he, is, that he is the Son of God. That He is the only way to heaven. That He is one that we submit our lives to. Paul says, don't be mismatched with those who are not believers. And does, does that mean that we're supposed to, to hide from the rest of the world? You know, that we're not to have any dealings with anybody who's not a follower of Jesus? Absolutely not. I mean, we, we are called. You remember Jesus called us to be a light in the world? How can you be a light if you're never in darkness? You know, and in all honesty, one of my favorite things is when I get a chance to, to visit with somebody and talk to somebody who's not a follower of Jesus and be able to share with them who Jesus is. If we are going to see people's lives changed, then Christians, it involves us engaging culture and sharing with people who Jesus is. So then what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, just don't be bonded together in relationships with those people. You have relationships with them, but they are not marriage material for you. Okay, so then when it comes to choosing a mate, what do I need to consider? Well, the first thing is, are they a good fit? You know, are they a good fit for me? But here's another thing to consider whenever you're choosing a mate, and it's this. Are they on the same page spiritually? Now look with me in verse 15. It says, what agreement does Christ have with Belial, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever, and what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them, from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. Now, in these verses, Paul mentions a, a couple of words that I think are interesting. He mentions the word uh, being in agreement, talks about being in agreement, and then the other word that he mentions is, is having in common. And so if you look back in verse number 15, he asks a question. He says, what agreement is there between Christ and Belial? Now, what is Belial? Well, Belial was just, it was another name for the devil. He says, so what agreement do, do, does Jesus and the devil have? He says, well, there's not any agreement. Jesus' goal for your life is very different than the devil's goal for your life. I mean, I think we kind of have figured that out. But, but Jesus' goal for your life is seen in 1 Peter, verses 18 and 19. It says this, it says, For you know that you were redeemed. You were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. So what's God's goal for your life? It's, it's, it's to redeem you. It's for you to be cleansed from your sin. Now, now what does the devil want for your life? Well, First Peter 5.8 says, Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So the, the goal in marriage is to have a spouse that is in agreement with you concerning foundational truths. 
Now, and I think that that word is interesting because in that word, it is where we get the word symphony. It's where we get the word symphony. So whenever, uh, whenever somebody is in a symphony, it means that they are, they are in a group of people, they are playing off of the same sheet of music, and they have the same conductor that's leading them in the music. Now, whenever they do that, they make a good sound, right? They make good music. But, but what if a person decides, I'm not going to play the same music you are, and I'm just going to play my own music, and they start playing at the same time. Now, what's that going to produce? Well, it's going to produce bad music. So instead of having agreement in marriage, you're going to see disagreement. And I see that all the time. I mean, I'll have people and they'll, they'll come talk to me and they're getting ready to get married and they'll share with me, you know, sort of who they are and what they, what they desire. And, and I'll see there's one, one of them is, is interested in, in having a relationship with God and following God. The other one's not that interested. And then they will tell me, uh, and I'll, I'll point that out, okay, that this is a very serious issue here. And they say, oh, we don't need to worry about it. We love each other. We're going to live off love. And I sit there and I think, oh, grasshopper, you do not know what you're talking about. You know, so they, they, they kind of go through all that stuff. And I I'm, and I'm think, okay, because you don't have agreement there, you know where it really raises its head up? When they start having kids. And then one of the parents, they want to bring up their child in a home that's going to honor God, and the other one doesn't really care, and it causes conflict between the parents, and it causes a lot of confusion with the kids. Well, Paul wrote that in marriage there needs to be agreement. You need to be playing off the same sheet music with the person that you marry. And then Paul also, he mentions this in our text, he, he wrote and asked, he said, what agreement is there with God's sanctuary and idols? And what's this dealing with? Well, in Corinth at this time, I said there's, our, there's the temple of Aphrodite there, which promoted promiscuity. There was also another temple in, in Corinth, and it was the temple uh, to the God of healing. And so it would, been, it would have been very common for people that lived in this town to say, hey, come on over with us, let's go to the, let's go to the temple, the pagan temple, and why, why don't you come, you can come to the service with us, we're going to eat there, have a great time. Paul said, listen, whenever it comes to those things, if there's only one God, he said, but, but you as believers need to live differently than the rest of the world. He said, you need to be separate from those things that do not honor God. Now the word separate means to mark off boundaries, that's in verse 16. You're to be separate. Mark off boundaries. Uh, that made me think of uh, years ago, Emily and I were driving up through Virginia, and we drove across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Have any of y'all ever done that before? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a huge bridge, 23-mile-long bridge. And when you start going across the bridge, I mean, you look over to your left, and you just water. You know, for 23 miles. You look over to your right, and all you see is water. Now, when I drove across the bridge, that didn't bother me. I mean, I was just driving across the bridge, and, uh, you, know, I was doing, you know, I was doing the speed limit, you know, like 95, and just you know, driving straight down that road, going across the bridge. But I started thinking, if, would, would you feel comfortable driving across a 23-mile-long bridge if there were no guardrails? You know, it's just the road. Now, I don't know about y'all, that, that, that would make me nervous. Uh, because I know that if I don't have those guardrails, I don't feel as secure. I don't, I don't feel as safe. Well, well, the same kind of thing is, 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 is happening with us in life. If we don't have guardrails, and God's given us guardrails right here, and I'm trying to live life without those guardrails, so let me tell you, what, what, I can tell you what's going to happen to me. I'm going over the side. See, God, God has given us His Word to be the guardrails for our lives so that we can live 
with confidence and not live in fear. So it's very important that the people that I'm connected to, that I connect my life to, have the same guardrails that I do. Otherwise, I'm going to go over the side of the bridge with them. So we need to consider that as, as we think about marriage. We need to ask the question, are, are they a good fit? Are they on the same page spiritually with me? But then here's the last thing to consider when choosing a mate, and that is this. Will this relationship, will it honor God? So you're getting ready to get married. So is this relationship, is it going to be something that really honors God? Well, we'll look with me in verse number 18. It's what the Lord says. He says, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, now in the, in the Old Testament, if you read in the Old Testament, whenever the Hebrew people were going into the promised land, God told his people, he said, do not intermarry with the Canaanites. Because if you do, you're going to be mismatched. See, the Canaanites, did not, they did not follow the God of Scripture. They followed many other gods. And God said, do not give your sons and daughters to these people. He said, because if you do, what's going to happen is they are going to come in and you're going to be living life without those guardrails. And I will not bless those relationships. So make sure that you do not give yourself to people who don't follow me or I will remove my blessings. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4 in the Old Testament. That's what God said. He said, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. Now, in our relationships, God desires for there to be purity in our relationships. He desires for us to be on the same page spiritually with the people that, that we are married to. And he says, now, if you choose to be disobedient to me and go into a relationship without, with outside of, outside, a person who has a relationship outside of me, he said, you're not going to be blessed. You're going to face, you're going to face difficulties and troubles. And you're going to live in the darkness of disobedience. And it's not God because God's trying to be mean. It's because God's just telling us the truth about what happens. Let me give you an example. I, in, at my house, I, I'm not a, I, I do not, I've never won yard of the month in my neighborhood. Now, it does not mean because our yard looks terrible. It's just that um, there's, just only, there's only so much I'm going to do. Now, here's, now, here is my excuse. We have in our yard, we have over 80 trees. In our, we have a small yard, and we have over 80 trees in it. And so that creates a whole lot of shade in our yard. And one year, I went and I got, um, I got sod. We planted grass in there. But man, the, sun, the sun just never got on the grass. There's so many roots that it sucked all the water out from the grass. And, and within, it seemed like within like two weeks, all of our grass was dead, and all we had was dirt again. But it all happened because we have so much shade that there's never any light on the yard. Okay, the same thing happens in a person's walk with Christ. If you live in the shade, if you live in the darkness, God's light is not going to shine on you. And you're not going to experience growth. And you might look at, and you can look at your life right now, and you might say, you know, if I look at my life right now, I can say this: I do not have joy in my life. I am, I feel like I am aimless. I am purposeless. Now, here's here's one thing that I would encourage you to do. 
Look at your relationships. Who are you connected to? Who are you bonded to in your relationships? If you're bonded with people who are outside of a walk with God, you're going to struggle. Now, some of you might be listening to that and say, well, what about me? That's water under the bridge. I'm already married. What am I supposed to do? And you're right. That is, it is water under the bridge. And so we're just dealing, we're just dealing with today. So you say, well, can I do anything? Absolutely. And here's my encouragement for you. If you are in a relationship where you are mismatched with somebody, but you're married, you know what? Pray. Go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, you know, I know this is, this is what you have intended for me, this is, but this is where I am. And God, I believe that you are a redeemer. And I believe that you can, take, you can take anything and you can turn it into something good. And you begin to pray for your spouse that God will work and move in their heart and will make them sensitive to the things of God. Guys, let me tell you something. That's not a one-time prayer. You don't say, well, I did that today and I'm done. How come he hasn't done anything? You have to be persistent in your prayer. And so that's my encouragement for you. Just continually be praying for your spouse. Being a witness to your spouse. Being a person who loves and demonstrates kindness to your spouse. And let your attitude and your spirit be something that would be winsome to them. And then pray that God will move in their hearts. Now, now there are others of you and you're not married yet. See, but I'm, I'm not married yet, but the person I'm, that I'm with, the person I'm dating... They're, they're not connected to God. What am I supposed to do? A couple, a couple of simple things. This is, what, this, is, this, is not, this is biblical. Determine in your heart right now that you are going to marry somebody who loves Jesus. And you have to make that decision. So I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to follow, that I'm going to marry somebody who loves Jesus. You say, well, well, they don't love Jesus. Then you need to make a decision. Now, here's the other thing. Make sure that you are matched with Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a lot of us who think that marriage is the most important decision we'll ever make. It, it, it is definitely one of them. But the most important decision you will ever make is if you're going to follow Jesus or not. Because if you follow Jesus, it will change your life forever. It will change your eternity forever. We're told in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And Jesus said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so in saying that, if you just simply do a self-examination, are you under the yoke of Jesus? where he is the one who is guiding and directing your life, where you are making decisions not based off of what you feel, but based off of the guardrails that he has given us in his word. And I'm not saying that is easy, but I am telling you that it is right. Because he cares for you. And he wants the best for you. And if you have never put yourself under his yoke, let me encourage you to do that today. And so here's how I'd like for us just to, to end our service, and, and really it's just in prayer. And so at this time, I'd just like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes, and, and I'm not gonna, I, would, I would not embarrass anybody or anything like that, 
But, but if, if you are here right now and you say, you know what, I know that my spouse is not in a relationship with Jesus. I know that that is, that is something that has not, maybe even, not even crossed their radar. But boy, it's caused a lot of tension in our relationship. What I would like for you to do is I would like for you where you are just simply to, to begin to pray and you talk to God and say, God, you know my marriage. And so Jesus, I'm asking you to begin to work in the heart of my spouse and you will, that you will draw him or her to you. And Lord, I pray that you will work in me to be a godly spouse who will demonstrate grace and mercy. And then you just commit and say, Lord, I, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for this. Not just today. I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to do it weekly. And you just continue to pray. Maybe others of you say, you know what? In my life, I'm, I'm not matched. I've not put myself under the yoke of Jesus Christ. Well, you can do that today. If you're ready to do that, just where you are, you can just simply pray where you're seated and say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. I want to put myself under your yoke. And I will, I will let you direct me and lead me where you want me to go. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you have lived and that you died for me on a cross and that you rose from the grave. You are the King of Kings. Save me and I'll follow you. Now, if you prayed that prayer, let, let us know. You take your bulletin out. We share this every week. You know, fill out that contact form. Check the line. Commit my life to Christ today. You tear it out and you put that in the box that's at the back as you leave here today. We can get you some information in the mail and, and growing in a walk with Jesus. And I just want you to know, that I just want you to leave here today knowing God, God loves you and He wants the best for you. And His plans are better than your plans or mine. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Your Word. We are grateful, Jesus, that You love us with everything that You've got. And I pray that we will learn to be a people who love as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name.